Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 304. friends, this is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Schwanke, the superintendent, excuse me, the deputy superintendent of <laughs> Slow down City there. Schools. Slow I down. just promoted you, Jen. Welcome back to Principal Matters. No, I don't Matters. want that promotion. No, no, no. <laughs> Welcome back to Principal Matters. You can find all of my resources at my website at williamdparker.com or you can find Jen's at jenschwanke.com. Jen, we're recording this in summer and both of us have been noticing lots of congratulations. It's This is the fun time of summer when you can see new principals posting for the first time, celebrating their first day on the job. Um, I remember that, you know, I, I was sitting last <laughs> night. I was, I, I was thinking I was doing dishes, believe it or not. Sometimes I do dishes and, uh, I was thinking about, I don't know why this memory came to me, but I was thinking about when I was earning my master's degree for my, um, master's in, in educational leadership. And when I finally was offered my first contract as an assistant principal in a very large school district, um, I got to meet with the superintendent of schools after all of the panels I had gone through and the, and the principal talk I had gone through, I got to sit down with the superintendent and it was kind of cool because it was in that district. It was the soup who showed you the contract and talked to you about all the different expectations and benefits, and then welcomed you to the team once you accepted the offer. And so it was really, a, I thought a very um, generous way to invite someone into it. But I remember feeling so much emotion as I stepped out in that meeting and stepping out of that meeting, because it had, it was, Jen, it was a huge commitment to be a teacher, to earn a master's degree, to look at all the options, to do interviews, to move my family, all those things that just require so much risk and courage and emotion. And sometimes you forget what that feels like that to be that first, you know, to, to right. be in that first year where everything's brand new again. Um, but I wanted to come back to that emotion because I realized that there are people out there who may be moving into new positions this coming year and in, in, in every new position comes with that kind of emotion, but that first admin position is really special. And, um, and you have written a wonderful book called you're the principal now what that I've used in some of the trainings that we've done here in Oklahoma. Um, and I've pointed lots of people to that resource and I've seen people posting, reading your book. We had a listener that just sent us a photo this morning by email. So thank you listener. If you're listening, um, for sending a picture of Jen's book um, to us. But Jen, I, I wanted to go there this week. What are some things, and there's a lot, but what are some things that we should be thinking about for new principals as they're stepping into this role in the summer and as they begin to think about priorities for that very first year? Well, I'm glad you shared your story about the first memory and emotion of your new role. I was, I happened to be um, flipping around on LinkedIn. I am not good with LinkedIn, but I, I'm trying to learn. Yeah, this was yesterday and I must have seen 25 or 30 people saying, I just was named principal of so-and-so school in Maine, or I was just named principal of so-and-so school in Al Albuquerque, you know, all over the place. There are people who have, who are experiencing that feeling that you've discussed. And I think it helps, you know, in the moments of feeling alone to know that you're not at all. 
my, I was also talking to my sister yesterday and we were talking about something completely different. And it was about moving to a new town and starting over and, you know, wherever that is, or whatever time in your life where you may have had to pick up everything and you have a U-Haul and some boxes and some dreams and that's it. And I think there's a very close analogy there to starting a new job because it's really scary. You, you know, to be a principal, you, you question your collegial relationships or your friendships. Um, if you're staying in the same district as to whether they will, um, change, they will change, but how they will change. You, um, have to think if you're moving about how your you or your family or your partner is going to, to take this move because it can be a huge adjustment. And that, you notice, I haven't even talked about the professional part of it yet. That's just the personal internal things going on. So I think it helps to acknowledge that jumping from the classroom to the principalship or the assistant principalship is it's as big as it feels. It really is. I talk a lot jokingly, usually about when you become the principal, you get the master key and that's symbolic of, of the responsibilities, but it's also very literal. And I remember getting that key and thinking I can open any door any door, which felt both freeing, but also deeply, deeply um, heavy, because I thought that means that people will know I can open every door. And many schools have gone to different systems, not just a master key, but it's, it is symbolic, both the responsibility and the fun that can come with, with having the master key. That's um, also bringing back some great memories, because I remember (laughs) when I first got those keys too, and I was um, feeling that overwhelming sense of like responsibility, but also a little bit of, um, of an ego thrill. Of yeah, like, wow, yeah. I, I don't have the keys. And then I can, I completely remember my first day when we had <clears throat> like two to three back-to-back um, situ- discipline situations that happened. And I just remember actually thinking in my head, uh, I don't know what to do. And, <laughs> and, and those keys in my pocket right now are not helping. Right. So like, right. Those keys in my pocket right now are not helping right. me for not knowing what to do. And I, you know, because you spend so much time reaching out to colleagues of like, okay, what do I do in this one? And how do right. I manage this? And so Jen, I remember one of the questions I asked um, veteran leaders over and over and over again, when I was stepping into the role was what's that one thing you would want me to know, or what's the one thing you learned about this? And, and those are important things to be told. But there's also, I think, importance for any new principals listening or for veterans too, that um, you've done a lot of preparation and um, give yourself permission to trust the wisdom that you've learned from your past experiences. Give yourself permission to just pause and say, hmm, you know, I don't know, but I'll find out. And give yourself permission to have go-tos, people that you can reach out to and trust. Give yourself permission to reach out to Jen Schwanke and me. Uh, because we might be able to point you towards good resources or some quick feedback. Um, and so, you know, Jen, in fact, the, the listener who sent a photo of your book um, highlighted this quote that you had written. I'm going to read you yourself. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fun, but you were talking about how to deal with the more difficult people that you encounter in your school community that first year. And you said this, it's important to note that you'll never convince everyone to be completely accepting of your new leadership. Some people seem to carry an inherent sense of distrust of leadership and nothing you can do will change that mindset. It's best to accept and move on. Do not waste energy trying to convert someone who simply isn't welcoming. Just move forward with your goals, focusing on the staff and students and parents who are glad to have you there 
and glad to follow your vision. So I wanted to go there for just a moment because why is it so important for leaders to, to focus as they're stepping in to moving forward with those goals and visions for staff and students and parents? You know, I thought a lot about this because when a principal steps into a new role, everybody's watching. And a lot of people are watching to see how that principal will emulate behaviors, decisions, or practices that the previous principal had. There's, you know, there's no way to put a statistical number to it, but there's some people that want just the same. They don't like change. They don't want a principal to come in and and upend things. But then there's also probably a percentage of people who desperately want new perspectives, new ideas and change. And so I think that, that it's, that's one of the trickiest parts of navigating the first year is getting to know what really needs to happen as opposed to what people think needs to happen. Mm. And a lot of it it involves slowing down, not making impulsive decisions, thinking through what you know is best. Well, I'm so glad you said, you know, to, to call on your own wisdom and your own training, because many times I see new principals struggling with imposter syndrome. As a matter of fact, the Ohio Principals Association asks me to speak every year to, to Ohio's new principals. And without fail, somebody will say to me in the Q&A at the end, some version of, I don't think I should be here. <laughs> I think there's been some mistake. They don't use those words. Those are my words. But I will always say to them, listen, somebody hired you. Somebody saw a talent in you. Somebody gave you the master key and they're paying you to do this job. And the only thing holding you back is your own confidence, um, or second guessing yourself. And so in that sense, I think that we all, we have, because we were hired to do this job and because we've been through the training, we're capable. But with that said, the best gift we can give ourselves is the time to really get to know a situation at a school before making huge changes. Um, you know, we have time. You, you don't have a year to fix everything. You probably have many years to make some changes or updates and, and make the school yours. So um, that, that was a long answer, Will, but I think it's, it's my attempt to ask listeners to give themselves a little grace here and get to know the place before you feel pressure from negative stakeholders to turn into a principal that you might not want to be. And that is a common theme, Jen, that I've heard from veteran leaders when I hear people like yourself and me, and when I've had other leaders who've spoken into my life and and fellow leaders that I've heard speak into the lives of younger leaders too, is take time to get to really know what's happening in your school, know your place, give yourself permission to watch and listen and learn. But I want to stay there with you for a moment and and push a little bit to ask you for some practical ways that leaders might do that. What are some, and I know every setting is different, every setting is different, but what are some practical ways that a leader can get to know their place? Um, when you asked that question, I laughed. Our listeners can't see it when I smirk, but I smirked because I have a really specific one. This is a theory. This is not at all studied. I think someone should study this. I think the when you're hired, the first person that insists on setting up a meeting with you is not the one to listen to. That's my theory because the first person that comes and and says, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you this gift, new principal, and I'm going to tell you all the things that are wrong and what I think you should do to fix them. I think that person is one, certainly you listen, but that is not 
that, that person who's, you know, shoving people out of the way to get to you first is probably not representative of the entire school. So that's a practical term. <laughs> the first meeting, take notes, absorb it, but don't act. <laughs> I just wrote my own notes. Step one, ignore the first person to set an appointment with you, Jen Schwanke. Right. The people to whom you reach out and say, hey, I'd like to meet, you know, a lot of principals like to have one-on-one meetings with their new staff. Those people who were patient and willing to wait their turn and then shared thoughtful, um, non-personal responses to their, their um, interpretation of the school's challenges, those are the people who probably have some important things to say. Um, and it's tempting, you know, the, the first, whether it's a teacher or a PTO member or, or a um, assistant principal or something, that first person, man, they usually have some baggage they're bringing with us and they want to hand that baggage to you as the new principal and say, take this for me. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no need to take a whole bunch of, of other people's baggage right away. There's, there's time for that. So that's my most practical step. <laughs> that's a very practical step. And, and I'm thinking back to leaders that I've respected um, and some of the practices that I was able to employ too. And, and this comes right back to what you were saying. One of the, I think one of the most important things you can do in listening is, and there's a lot of different ways you could do this. I know some principals that literally set up a meeting with every person that's in their building and just ask them two questions. You know, what's working well here? What would you improve? Just to kind of get a sense of what's going on. Some buildings are so large that the scale of that would be really difficult. Some um, I've known some leaders who do that in small groups where they'll, they'll pinpoint a group of teacher leaders for that kind of feedback, or they've bring in a group of students for that kind of feedback or a group of parents. And they're, they're trying to elicit feedback from multiple sources. I had a principal when I was in the teaching position that would do that with groups of teachers throughout um, the first few weeks of school, just for feedback on what, what's going well, what do we need to be flexing on here? So there's a lot of different ways to do that. But Jen, I would just add one of my favorite practices, which was um, just be as visibly present as you can in as many places as you possibly can. People right. need to see that you and they belong in the same place. Right. You're not, your office is not your domain. Right. Your office is where you do the paperwork you're required to do and check your emails when you can and have confidential conversations or important conversations, but the school and the, the entire campus is where you belong. And so be out there where the cafeteria workers are getting to know their names and offering to help pick up trays when they need it. Be out there at the bus lines when people are dropping off their kids so that you can see them where their lives matter most, dropping their their babies off at your school. Jump on a bus every once in a while and offer to ride a route with a bus driver just to see where those kids live. And, and you know, of course, manage that with however that works in your district's right. transportation right. setups. Be at those activities, be, be where those kids are at the secondary level. Our largest percentage of students every morning were outside the school when we started our mornings off with, because all of our band kids would practice in the mornings and all of our sports would practice in the afternoons. So I would always make it a goal to start my mornings outside so I could see all those kids that are involved in music in the mornings. And then at the end of the day, I was always back outside to make sure I'm hitting all the teams because those kids are doing activities because they want to see you where they want to be. Um, in, right. in their places too. Right. And, you know, really skilled principals, this comes with time, but really skilled principals learn how they can be visible in a lot of places all at once. Um, so, so a compliment you might seek to get someday is, gosh, are you at everything? And the answer should be no, I'm not at everything, but I'm at a little bit of everything. Yeah. And so, um, 
I, I worked with a, a actually a supervisor of principals who said, I have two principals, one who the community thinks he's never at anything and another who the community thinks he's at everything, but they both swear they go to the same amount of events. And I said, they probably do, but it's about the, the second principle where parents think he's very involved. The, that principle says, I'm not necessarily, necessarily there the first or second or the third quarter, but I'm there the fourth and I high five all the kids and I say to the coach, good job, good job. Or the band concert, I say, may I just say a few words? Don't steal the concert, but say a sentence. I'm so glad you're here, parents. And then it doesn't necessarily mean you stay through the whole three hour orchestra concert, but everybody saw you. So yes. gathering those tips so that your main goal is exposure and telling the kids that you saw them doing incredible things and having the parents see you telling the kids that they did incredible things. It, and then, so yeah. And then following up with the staff that was involved, the advisors, the coaches, the leaders of, of whatever, and saying that was incredible and doing it publicly too, with a Twitter or an email to the entire staff or something to say, wow, Mr. H put on an incredible band concert with those kids last night. So everybody knows you were there. Well, and think about it this way. And again, I know this is different depending on your setting and your schedule, but I'll use my world of the secondary. So let's say I'm in a building that has five or six passing periods during a school day. How can I leverage the most exposure to kids as possible and still get as much work done as possible? That means I'm going to, when the bell rings, try my dangdest because this is a school leadership podcast and I don't know who's listening. <laughs> I'm going to try my hardest to um, be back out when that bell rings and be through as much of my building as I possibly can see in one fell swoop so that I can see as many kids and as many faces and as many teachers as I possibly can during that passing period, even if it means I'm going right back to the same task I left. So because I'm leveraging those times, just like you said with activities, you leverage the times that you have access to people as much as you can. Well, and you know, what's funny. I I've made that commitment before. The thing I would never miss was bus duty because I know that was my way of seeing every kid every day. And it got to where there was some sort of a Pavlonian response that bell would ring and I would drop everything and go. And, you know, it took a while to get there in my mind, but I, it got to where I knew at three 37 every single day, that's where I was. I didn't have to think about it. So then it takes away the conversation in your head. Oh, it's raining. I don't want to go out there or, Oh, I went the last three days. I won't go. So you just do it. And I think that's really true with class changes too. And here's where I put a little plug. A lot of principals love their mobile offices. You know, they redo an overhead cart or whatever, and they're out in the halls that never, that would not work for me. So principals who kind of quiver at that idea, it's okay. This is where I say, be yourself because I was someone I like to be actively engaged walking around. But then when I came back to my office, I would sit down and be so incredibly efficient because that's where my computer was. That's where my things were. I was, I was never mobile. And what I would say though, is I was a visible and I was available, but I didn't bring my office with me. So my point to that is not whether mobile offices are good or bad. My point is you find who you are and how you work best. Well, let's stay on strategies for just a little bit on schedules because everyone's a little different. This works different for every person, but Jen, I'll just give you a, a, a very small version of some routines that were helpful for me that may or may not be helpful for others, but you, I think it's important to chunk your days and activities. And so for me, the mornings um, were really, the way I started my days were very intentional and instrumental on the way the rest of my days would go. So that often means you try to get there 
before others so that you can kind of get a sense of the lay of the land and, and be established. But I would also put most of my checking my mail, paperwork, signing POs, um, all of that kind of stuff for my first morning task, because I could typically have that waiting for me or sitting there by my spot where I could quickly get through those things and be marking those things. And because that, that like touching paper stuff um, has to happen at some point. So I would just, I would schedule that to be my first thing I would touch in the morning because that's the thing I actually like the least. And so I could get through those things. And in my building, that sometimes meant I'm signing forms for people who need extra duty assignments or whatever. You know, there's so many things to sign that come through um, or to pass other things on to other staff members that I'm delegating to. So that that morning little routine of having that to do first gave me an opportunity to do that. But I actually, I, I, I parked that little area of my work in the front office at a place where I could stand and still see my entire staff and out into the cafeteria so that as soon as I'm, as I'm doing that, I'm seeing people coming in. And as soon as I'm finished, I'm already with my school. I'm, I'm right there ready to go. And, and this doesn't count um, what I had done before that, which was being at the doors, greeting people as they were coming right, in right. too. And so, so how you structure that morning, I think can be really important for the way that you set up the rest of your day, because you really want, once that bell rings, your tasks to be focused back on instruction and being in classrooms and connecting with people. But so those non-people tasks, you try to take care of before the people are doing their tasks. So I I don't know what your morning routine was like, but that was. Well, and that's, it's so funny because you proved my earlier point that everybody's different because that Mm -hmm. would not have worked for me because Mm -hmm. I am such an anxious worrier that I always, I'm constantly in a state of thinking I'm behind. Mm -hmm. And so what worked for me was I would always um, check my email in the morning before I got to work just to kind of get my head on what my day looked like. But then I was someone that would carve five or 10 minutes out of every hour. I would check, you know, I would go observe a classroom or go to a duty or handle a discipline situation, talk to a parent. And then I would four five, six, seven minutes, scan my email, see what I could quickly take care of, delete, you know, a few of the junk mail or the spams and um, then be on my way. The reason that worked for me is I, I try to avoid email whenever an email response to a teacher whenever possible. So I might read an email that says, Hey, Jen, I, I um, am just wondering how are we going to move the kids into the gym for the assembly rather than take five minutes to respond. I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to take care of on my next round. So the next time I'm out in the building, I pass that teacher's room and I say, Hey, got your email. I think what's best is if we call by grade level or whatever, you know, I'm making this up as I go, but it helped push me out into the building with a quality intentional conversation. So that worked for me. Some people say, Oh my gosh, I could never do that. I would feel the, the need to check all the time. So that's really what I say is you, you have to know yourself and you have to know what will make you the most calm and effective leader and fit your day around all those tasks. And a lot of that um, comes back to, I think we used this term a few ep- episodes ago that I, I stole from Michael Fool and, you know, contextual literacy. He's, he's such a great yes, researcher yes. and, and it's understanding the context of your culture to figure out what works best there. Because it does take a while to figure out the climate and the culture of a school and its systems and schedules and everybody's idiosyncrasies on your teams too to kind of figure out where is the best fit. So, for instance, my 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 um, office secretary, for instance, was our point person for receiving and signing in our substitutes and also filling in holes if someone was missing. And of course, we would she would 
connect with me if there was questions or she needed permission for something. But but she she managed a lot of that first thing in the morning. So I knew my role was to leave her alone whenever she was, <laughs> yes. when, when she was in the middle of, of that kind of management and I was working on my thing and, and we were welcoming people and we're watching the kids come in because we had a, actually, we could see everything from where our office area was. Um, so we learned that if we were ever going to connect and have a, like a meeting between the two of us to look at calendars or goals, it always had to be at least one hour after school started. But it took me a long time to, for us to figure out that that was the best fit for us because that's right. the way that the system works best. So giving yourself permission to know what is happening in your school, to know the place that you're working, get, to know the lay of the land. There's just so much wisdom in being observant, paying attention, listening, and just being patient, figuring those things out instead of trying to come up with a solution immediately, giving yourself permission to tweak and to flex, especially in those first few, I'm not going to say the, especially that first year, um, to give yourself permission to keep on flexing so that that first year is that year of learning. And, you know, I want to add one more thing, and I actually hope in a future episode, we can talk about um, change and principles, putting change into place. But what I would say to a new principal is there's always a why, even if something seems like it doesn't make sense, there's a history there, there's a path there that took you to why things are the way they are. And so if you see something or hear something, hear someone tell you that something doesn't make sense, we have to change this right now. I, I urge new principals, go find out the why. Somebody thought it was a good idea at some point, and it maybe was at that, at that time. So if you're not getting that historical perspective, go find it because you, the last thing you want to do is upend something that was years or decades in the making and change can take many forms. It can be a tweak or it can be throwing something completely out and starting over. And so your response to anything that needs change really should start with the history. Oh, I was going to say that word exactly. Um, understanding the history of your school is such an important part of understanding the environment because yeah. you're right, Jen, it, it, this, the, I think one of the hardest temptations in any leader's new position is, is the constant um, temptation to criticize everything you see that you don't like without really right. understanding why what you're seeing exists. Exactly. Um, and you can hurt people's feelings really quickly. If you are constantly verbalizing, why would we do it this way? Or we should be doing it different this way, because usually there's a reason. So figure out first the reasons behind why things are being done the way they're doing before you offer an opinion or before you seek a solution. And Jen, I, I would love to do an episode with that in the future with you, because I know you do some great PD with leaders on how to help as teams analyze change and figure out how to implement change without destroying the team. Exactly. Because exactly. that's an important part of leadership too. Well, as we wrap up this episode, I do want to invite you, Jen, to um, join me for uh, our next episode to talk a little bit more about some of the nitty gritties for new principles, because the, you know, the, the, um, in your first book, you're the principal. Now what you provide some really great strategies for taking the most common yet daunting challenges of the principalship, everything from relationship building to understanding your school-wide data, et cetera. I want to pick your brain on some of those other areas too for new principals. But for now, I just wanted to say congratulations to any principals out there that are stepping in new for the first time. There's a long archive of episodes that you can go back to in the Principal Matters archives 
of the 300 past episodes where Jen and I have talked about school leadership and I've talked to many other school leaders, but if you're stepping in for the first time and maybe you're listening to this podcast, we would love to know that. So you can reach out to me at will at williamdparker.com and let me know that you're stepping in for the first year. We would love to just be able to say congratulations and connect you with any other resources or answer any questions that you have. And Jen, remind listeners how they can stay connected with you. And I'm going to put you on the spot again to remind us about the title of your newest book coming out. Yes, absolutely. They can reach me at jenschwanke.com. And then the new book coming out um, any moment, I think, is The Teacher's Principle. And it is ways that principals can support teachers um, and by getting to the root of what motivates them. Well, this episode is probably being listened to at the end of July. And so I think that book will probably be ready for you to push order on Amazon. So go to Amazon <laughs> to the teacher's principal by Jen Schwanke. Jen Schwanke, thank you again for the wonderful input and for the great work that you're doing in the state of Ohio and for leaders across the U.S. Until next time, thanks for doing what matters. We'll talk to you soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com. Dot com.